I wonder if you have found yourself doing some things during this pandemic that you would never have thought you'd end up doing. Um, in fact, if you had seen yourself doing it in different times, you might have just raised your eyebrows and thought, what, what were you thinking? What were you doing? If you had seen my son Colin yesterday, you might have been asking that same question in different times because he was doing something very strange. So here's the deal. Um, Colin's uh, two children, our grandchildren, uh, Ryan and Quinn, their best friends live next door, right next door. And so generally speaking, they are back and forward between the two backyards, in and out of each other's houses. And now something has changed. And uh, I'm not so sure that uh, the younger of the two pairs fully understand. The older ones, I think, do. But they can't be with each other. And um, all the more frustrating is the fact that they can see one another running around and all they can do is wave through a window or wave across the street. So the thing that Colin did um, that you might in other times have thought was crazy is that he r removed a piece of the fence between the two backyards and he replaced the boards with plexiglass. So that's what you'll see on the, 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 um, the, the slide. It's... it's just exactly that, the picture of this fence without boards, but plexiglass um, high enough up so that you could never spray any kind of virus over top of it, or, um, low enough down so you couldn't get underneath it, so no way around it. So in, in a perfectly um, um, COVID virus way, um, these two pairs of friends are able to be close to each other and to enjoy one another's company by virtue of this construction of the the plexiglass fence between them. It, it, it came to mind as I thought about what we want to talk about today, which is what Paul says um, we are to keep on doing. So these two pairs of friends wanted to keep on doing what they love to do, which is be together, communicate, to one another and play together and so on. And, and they can do that. They can use markers on both sides of the plexiglass. They can make faces. They can do dances, whatever it is. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, he says, So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep doing it. If I were tr translating this uh, verse, and I'm not called to do that, but when Eugene Peterson made the translation in the message, he added um, just a little bit that wasn't necessary, actually. So you'll see on that screen, I've struck out in hope because those words aren't in the, the Greek original. So Paul literally says this. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up the other so that you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. So we leave out the words in hope um, because they, they don't actually add to, 
the encouragement that Paul is bringing to the Thessalonians and, and to us. So today I want to talk about these, these two things that Paul presumes the Thessalonians are doing, and he might presume we are already doing, and we maybe ought to presume that yes, indeed, we have been committed to these things. The two things that we are committed to are that, first of all, we are to be encouraging one another, and the second is that we are to be building up one another. The word encourage is the word parakalete, which comes from paraklete, and you've probably heard that word used uh, as it is of the Holy Spirit in John when Jesus is saying that the, the Holy Spirit is coming, he calls him the paraclete. Uh, paraclete comes from parakletos, which simply means alongside and called. So it means somebody has been called alongside, and that is um, the ministry or the function of encouragement. So to encourage one another to do what Paul tells us to do is perhaps to realize that we are called to one another's side. We are, we are called to encourage one another, which is to realize that we have been called to be beside one another. That is a difficult thing in terms of physicality these days. Um, it's what Colin tried to uh, manage by allowing his kids to be, again, side by side, that they might encourage um, one another. And we need to practice the ministry of encouraging, of realizing that we have been called to be side by side. And when we are not able to be physically side by side, then we need to innovate. We need to do whatever we can to actually be side by side in a powerful way, in a spiritual way, and in an encouraging way with one another. So let's think about that for just a moment before we move on to the the next thing he tells us to do. And as I wonder about that, I wonder, well, how is it that we actually um, do this work of encouraging one another? What what would it be like to encourage one another? I I remember raising our kids that several times for for one reason or another, uh, we needed to say to one another, or needed to say to our kids, use your words. So it might have been because um, one of the kids was, frustrated and couldn't get the words out or and so was talking too fast or or was gesturing or was acting out and so we in trying to manage that we maybe said to the child in in question use your words what what are the words that you want to say um and and then maybe we can make sense of this whole situation when we think about this matter of uh, encouraging one another I think the way that we mostly encourage one another is by the use of words, right? I mean, there, there are deeds that we do and so on, very importantly, but I think the, the major way that we encourage one another is by the use of words, the things we say. Um, and, and today, in a new kind of reality for a while, um, we can't say to one another the, the way that we used to say to one another what we would like to communicate to encourage so we need to sort of go back to the drawing board and, and think of how we can use our words. Um, I talked about the idea of sidewalk chalk and um, putting Hosanna in big letters on the sidewalk wherever you can. That's a word. 
it's a word that is full of meaning and power. Um, writing notes, some people are great at writing notes. Um, I, when I come across these people, I was sort of, oh, why don't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? They, they're the kinds of people who write thank you notes after everything. And you know what? Um, if never more than now, uh, how important it is to hear thank you from somebody, a little note that might come along. Mail still works. Um, window writing, maybe we need to get markers that we can use in our windows, our front windows, and just write happy messages, um, messages to the couriers or deliverers as, as uh, Facebook is full of these days. Uh, poems, songs, yeah, maybe this is a time to discover an artistic you in writing some flowery poems or actually other kinds of poems as well, maybe poems that are sad, poems that are um, kind of struggling through something. Songs, maybe there are songs that you know that using their lyrics would be an encouraging thing for somebody else if you were to send that, that along. Uh, books, sermons, it's a good time to kind of go back and review sermons that you have um, stored away on your computer or in CDs. Podcasts, um, maybe talk with one another and say, who are you listening to on, on podcasts that's encouraging you? And then you might be able to join up with that. Maybe the use of fewer words, um, which sounds sort of counterproductive to what I'm saying here. But, you know, you know maybe in, in some ways um, being able to be slower and um, particularly with the the a gift of prophecy that we'll mention later on. The Lord may have something that he wants to say to you that you should pass along to somebody else. And it might not be a whole lot of words. It might just really be like a phrase or two. And just fewer words may be something the Lord uses to, to encourage other people. Uh, prayers, um, to say I'm praying for you. Um, over the years, I've, I've discovered how much more, as time goes by, those promises mean when someone says, I pray for you every day. And when I know that they mean that, then it's something that's tremendously encouraging to me, and I'm sure it could be used by the Lord in our lives in these days as well. So we are called to paracalete. We're called to be paraclates. We're called to come alongside one another and to encourage one another. And Paul says, I know that's what you're doing, so I just want you to carry on. The second thing that Paul talks about, though, is that he wants us to build up. And as I said, I don't think he's saying build up hope. He's not saying to cheer people on. That's part of the of the, uh, um, the encouraging part. But it... it it I think can be rendered we we know that we're we're to join with others as builders so we we first of all contribute to this whole game by encouraging one another with our words but then we also roll our sleeves up and we we work together as a team we work together as a as a a body as we will see in a moment so we join with others as builders. Um, it's the word um, oikodomite, so 
that just on the screen so you can see that I checked it out and it's there. But the the most part of the, the most important part of that is the root word is oikos. It's the word that means house, and and often it just literally means a house, a building in which a household lives. And Paul says, I want you to keep on building the thing that you will realize shortly you're called to build. Um, In Ephesians chapters 2 and 4, Paul works hard on that, again, using that root term of the house, um, usually meant in the material, physical way, and then kind of um, seized over and used in a spiritual way, as, as we'll see in a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, You are of God's household, oikos, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, oikodome as it is, again, that oikos word, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That's a new word in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling. Oikodome, again, the word for house or household uh, of God in, in the spirit. So this word house um, is an important word for Paul, and he, he, he packs it with theological meaning for um, not only the Philippians, but for us as well. Later in or in the Ephesians, I should have said, later in Ephesians, he says this, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of, and then that's f- literally for the building of this oikos of the body of Christ. So Paul says, I, I want you to go to work together um, to be builders of something, to be builders of this house, this idea of the house. And then he just slips in the word temple um, as though it's a synonym. And it is a synonym in what he's talking about. Because in the the apostolic writings of Paul and Peter, we have this image of the house, the, the spiritual house that's being built, and the spiritual temple that's being built. We're called living stones by Peter, um, and we are pieced together to make this holy house, this holy temple. In, in both cases, they use the material, physical image of a building and and don't mean it either times. And that's crazy for these days. So, you know, we're talking about we're not in the building as though we're not at church. So we call it Southside at Maine, and sort of tongue-in-cheek now we call it Southside at Home. That's actually very appropriate because it's Southside that's constant, that's common, not the at home or at Maine. Because the church is not a building, and... We've said that, said it lots of times, until all of a sudden we couldn't go to a building. 
And then you begin to realize, oh my goodness, if we say the church is not a building, what is the church? And then Paul would say, I'm glad you asked that question. The church is a house that's built. The church is a temple that's for the dwelling of God. And so all the way through the the apostolic teaching um, is this set of twins, the house that's being built and the temple that's being built. The, The context of that in the Bible is the temple of the Old Testament, which obviously is the language that Paul is using and Peter is using. Um, And if you remember the story about the temple, it's a story of a relationship between God and David, the king. So David, um, he builds a a house for himself. I mean, he he builds a palace for himself. He, He builds a splendid palace for himself. And then he has some misgivings. And, you know, maybe at night he's walking around his roof and he says, hmm, I should have thought of building God a house. What was I thinking? And so it occurs to him that he should build a splendid house for God. And he tells God about this idea, says, um, I'm ashamed of myself. I've built a lovely house for me, but you have no house to live in. And so I'm going to build you a house. And it, it, you kind of have this sense of God grinning, smiling at him, maybe patting him on the head and saying, oh, that's cute, David. You're going to build me a house? Truth of it is, and David discovered this and thought about it as he wrote his psalms and, and songs, you can't build a house for God because the heavens can't contain him. The earth can't contain him. So God doesn't need a house. But God wants a house. Only the house that he wants is what Paul and Peter later on figure out uh, and they tell us about. So um, David goes ahead and he builds the lovely house for God. And it's kind of, um, you almost have this sense that God is, is kind of sadly looking out from his house um, as, though, as though we sort of built a special place for God and told God that, that he was to, to stay there. And we would live all the rest of our lives out in our families and neighborhoods and countries and all the as long as God stayed in the house we built for him. The cathedrals that we built for him, the beautiful buildings that we built for him. And it's as though God is saying, well, that's all very nice, but I'm actually more interested in being in and with you. And maybe we discover that today in a, in a new way, that the house that God is interested in is not a building. It's not a set of programs. It's not a, uh, it's not a, um, a strategy. It's not a model. It's us. It's people. And so the story of the Old Testament is God, again, sort of humoring Israel and saying, okay, well, here's, before we're into the whole temple part, um, God says, here's, you can have this tent for me. Um, and I will live in the tent, but the tent will be in the middle of your camp. In fact, you'll know when the camp should move when the tent moves. There's going to be a pillar of cloud and fire, and that's where I am. 
And so when the, when the pillar moves, then you can move camp. And I will be in the middle of you in the tent. So that's what precedes the temple. And it is God saying, do you understand that I want to be with you? I want to be in the middle of my people. My presence is the most important thing. And the presence of God is perhaps the most significant theological notion of the whole Bible and the whole of the Jewish and Christian faith. What is the coming of Christ except it is Emmanuel with us? It's John, the friend of Jesus, saying he came and he made his dwelling with us. The word with us. So in in Paul and Peter, um, we find this working into the church um, where Paul is saying to us, I, I want you to make sure you keep doing these two things. First of all, keep encouraging one another. Keep using your words. The second thing, join up in continuing this job of building a building for God. And when he talks about that building that he's building, as, as we've seen um, in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4, um, we're given God's materials for building. So if, if we're wondering, okay, how do we do this? How do we join with others to be builders? Um, the, the material of the building is well explained to us by Paul. Paul says, let's start with the, the foundation with how it started. And in Ephesians 2, he said it began with the foundation, which were the apostles. And on top of that, there were the prophets. So that's the, the chronology or the history of the New Testament church. It began with the apostles. They were the ones who had seen the Lord. And that was their, their credential. They had seen the Lord. Um, and so they could speak authoritatively. They could see, say, this is what he did. This is what he said. We saw him and we heard him. And so early on, you would know whether to believe some teaching or not, depending on whether an apostle said it or someone heard an apostle say it. After that, there were the prophets in the chronology, and the chronology of the prophets being built on the foundation of the apostles is that the prophets brought the word of the Lord. So they, there was not a canon yet. There was not um, recognized scripture. And so the prophet would say, thus saith the Lord. So um, after the apostles who could say, thus saith the Lord because I heard him, the prophets had this role in the early churches saying, this is the word of the Lord. Later on, it got written down in letters, um, in teachings, and so on. And so it wasn't necessary for either an apostle or a prophet um, to kind of be the witness. Um, along the way, we're told that Christ Jesus is the main cornerstone. And the cornerstone is the part of the building upon which everything else is organized. And it still is that way in terms of the Church of Christ. When we get to Ephesians 4, it's as though Paul kind of hinges and he says, now, I've talked to you about two um, particular roles and responsibilities, but let me add three more to that. 
And I think he changes the role of the apostle and prophet, and he makes them timeless. So whereas the apostle was the foundation, um, the apostle becomes a gift of apostleship. And while the prophet could speak with final authority, the prophet now becomes a way to listen for the voice of God. So apostles, along with evangelists, pastors, and teachers, roll out into this job of joining with others to build the house that God once built. The apostles are kind of the innovators, the starters, the, um, the ones that um, dream things up and say, what if we did this? So there's room for apostles in these days. The prophets are those who, who may have a sense that they're hearing a whisper from God, and so they're saying, I think the Lord wants his people to hear these things, so, so that's, that's my role is to speak, be the conscience some, sometimes. Um, the, the evangelists are the salespeople, they're the promoters, they're the ones who say, let's get the word out on all of this. Um, after we have the evangelists, we have pastors who are the shepherds, who are the ones that um, are, are filled with care and concern and who shepherd the sheep. <coughs> and then finally we have the teachers who are the ones who you know, might tend to organize, certainly teach and um, teach in a way that makes sense, that, that follows one topic to another and, and so on as, as time goes on. So Paul says, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to, to get at doing these things. And as we kind of have an opportunity to take stock of the church, let's have done, first of all, with, with the notion that the church is all about a building. Not at all. It may happen to meet in a building, but if if the programs of a building and um, the design of a building are the key, then we're not on the right track because the key to this house of God is the place of those five offices, those five roles, those five gifts called the apept gifts. If you want to study more, there's lots on the web about that. Just find reputable sources and, and do some study. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I, I told you a few years ago about what was happening on a daily basis in our neighborhood, which was that we had a lot of new builds, new houses, and so the tradespeople were coming to our street all the time. A white van after white van after white van. You didn't have to be there too long until you understood that these were the vans of the tradespeople. So they were the painter vans. So the guys that got out of there were in their white dungarees with paint marks all over. Um, there were the carpenter trades. There were the, you know, every, every kind of trade that joined together to, to build the subdivision. And the trades that God has blessed are the trades of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Those are the only trades that are necessary to build the house, the temple, spiritually, that God once built. So whoever you are, you need to know which union you belong to, which trade you belong to. 
um, you will have tools that are similar to other trades tools. More than one trade uses the hammer, for example. Um, but the way that you use tools will be shaped by the trade that you're part of. And so it's critical that we know what our trade is. And then in these days that we say, okay, we're having a fresh look at ourselves as the church, and we want to be true to how God wants the church to be developed. So how do we listen to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? How do they equip the rest of us so that we can build this spiritual house, this spiritual temple made of living stones fitted together and one in which the living God dwells and says, this is what I wanted. I didn't want a tent in the wilderness. Didn't want a temple in Jerusalem. I didn't want a cathedral in Munich. I didn't want a super church in Dallas. They're all fine. Lovely, thank you. But what I wanted was a people who would join together to build something and to know that that is where I want to be. So how will things revert to normal? I don't know. Nobody does. Some things will come back to normal, and they will be just as they were. But I hope some things won't. I hope new things will be imagined that would not have been required uh, or required to be thought about in the olden times, in the way things used to be. As I said at the beginning, if people saw Colin build a plexiglass sheet between him and his neighbors, they would have thought he was gone out of his mind. What in the world are you doing? First of all, fences are to keep people apart, provide a visual barrier. You are just in the process of dismantling that. Why? I hope later people will look at what we have thought about and what we have become and said, hmm. In another setting, in another iteration of the church, we wouldn't have thought of that. But this is wonderful. This is a way that we are able to encourage one another, bring our words, scribble them on the plexiglass to encourage one another, and to build something new and different that we look at and say, that's a cool thing. Um, God is never surprised by the things that take us by surprise. This didn't take him by surprise. He always brings good out of difficulties. Always. He always finds triumph in tragedies. And there are many tragedies. But God is hard at work. And he's doing his part to build his body, his temple. So Paul just says, Make sure you keep on doing what you have been doing. Let's not lag behind. Let's, let's not um, lose our spirit. Let us encourage one another. If, if you see someone or someone is texting you or you, you hear that they're, they're down, they're discouraged, there's every reason to be. So let us come alongside one another however we can. Use our words. And then let's say, you know, there's still a job to do. So how are you doing it? What are you using? Maybe some flexible time or different time or challenging time so that um, 
what God always wanted, he's getting. Even when the enemy would like to use this plague um, to stop us on our tracks. God bless you as we press on.